Hi, I'm Ryan Kelly with TheHomeLoanExpert.com. The only thing I like better than baseball is saving people money. Start saving now with a cash out refinance at thehomeloanexpert.com. Enjoy the podcast. Are you trying to find the sports fan in your life the perfect holiday gift? Why not think about tickets to the 8th annual Evening with the Cardinals coming up on January 11th at St. Louis Union Station Grand Ballroom. This year it features Ted Simmons and Ozzie Smith. Dinner, auction, private photo session with the two legends. And hear them reminisce about their careers. Get your tickets at the NCCS Org. That's the NCCS.org. It's an evening with the Cardinals, January 11th, the NCCS.org. It's always fun on these shows to have long-form interviews and to get into not only baseball, but maybe at times some of the voices that call the game and those that have had a long, and I mean long, history in the game. And we get the chance to visit with the Atlanta Braves Longtime play-by-play man Chip Carey spent time in St. Louis. Did briefly Cardinal baseball, Chicago Cubs. He's done the NBA. He's done football, and now the voice of the Atlanta Braves. Chip, always great to visit with you. How are you, Danny? Doing great. Great to be with you. Tell me a little bit before we dive into what's uh, happening here with baseball and and some of the trends in the game and changes you might make in the game. Let, let's start with your history in St. Louis. You are. A St. Louis native, are you not? I am. Uh, born and bred, uh, born in St. Joseph's Hospital in 1965 down the, the street from the old Checker Dome, the old St. Louis Arena. Our family joke is that I was probably conceived after a game at Old Sportsman's Park. <laughs> I was born shortly before the new ballpark opened up. Uh, yeah, grew up in St. Louis in West County, went to Parkway West High School, graduated from there in 1983. Uh, my mom and dad, ironically enough, met at KMOX. Uh, my mom was Bob Hyland's secretary. Uh, my dad was doing radio shows, of course, with my grandfather doing the Cardinals games. And uh, Bob Hyland was my godfather uh, in St. Louis. And, uh, you know, St. Louis roots, uh, roots run deep. My mom still lives out in St. Clair, Missouri. My grandparents were in Frontenac. I have aunts and uncles in Ladue and the like. And uh, St. Louis, very much a part of my upbringing and, uh, you know, knowledge of the Cardinals and stuff. You know the drill. You're born in St. Louis. You know the 1964 Cardinals starting lineup before you know your ABCs. And I was, I was certainly no different. And if you're born near the Checker Dome, that means you've got blue blood. I mean, St. Louis Blues blood. So you're pulling for the Blues right now. Uh, look, you know how much that uh, uh, win for the Blues means to the city of St. Louis. You've done their games and did them so well for so long. Uh, you know, I, I'm 54 years old, and uh, I, I'm, I'm probably one of the few people that will say this publicly. I absolutely hate Bobby Orr's guts. I hate that. I hate that iconic photo. I hate that statue. Uh, he's a great player, but uh, knowing what that meant to the Blues in the 1970 finals was uh, absolutely heartbreaking. I was only five years old at the time. Uh, but, yeah, I'm rooting for the Blues big time. It's been great for the city, and it's great for, for fans to have that much civic pride in, in, in a team other than the Cardinals, with all due respect. It's a great sports town, great fans, passionate fan base, and uh, to see the Blues have that kind of success and to see the support the Cardinals are giving them, man, that's that's uh, great civic synergy. I love it. When you have the name Kerry, is it a blessing or a curse when you're in our business? Uh, I think it depends on who you ask. Uh, you know, look, uh, I'd be the first to admit to you that uh, my last name certainly has opened doors that probably wouldn't have been opened otherwise. Uh, but at the end of the day, as you know, Dan, it's a performance-driven industry. You can either do the job or you can't. And there's only one way to say this. Uh, my dad's been gone now 10 years. Harry's been gone almost uh, you know, 25 years now. It doesn't seem possible. Um, and 
those guys are not in a position to influence my career anymore and haven't been for quite some time. And uh, I'd like to think that I'm, I'm pretty comfortable and capable in my own skin. I know what I'm doing. Uh, I have a little bit of both of their personalities. But I think I've done this my way and my own way. And, and the most difficult challenge for me was going to Chicago. Uh, nobody could replace the irreplaceable Harry Carey except maybe my dad or me. And, uh, you know, to, to go up there with the same last name, working in his booth with his partner, with his producer, his fans, his microphone, for goodness sakes. Uh, if I was to go up there and try to be Harry Carey III and, and broadcast the games exactly the way he did, uh, it wouldn't have worked. And it did work for seven years. Uh, it was grateful for my time up there. But, uh, um, you know, I'm very proud of my family name. I've got a son, Harry Christopher Carey IV, who's in the broadcasting business now as a, a, a college sophomore. Uh, I've told him the same thing that my dad and grandfather told me. Be yourself, tell the truth, and have fun. And if you do those three things in that particular order, then uh, you have a good chance to be successful, no matter your last name. As you mentioned, you are Harry the Third. Your dad is, is Harry the Second, and then there's Harry Carey. Um, and then your dad went by Skip. You go by Chip. I, I'm assuming that's by design. I mean, if you if you go around saying, well, I'm Harry Carey, boy, that, that's a tough way to make a living, isn't it? Yeah, well, you know, that's why people ask, what's your given name? I mean, how many? T- I, I can't tell you the number of times in high school at Parkway West, you know, your first day of class, you walk in and the teacher's reading the role, you know, okay, here's uh, Tom Smith, <laughs> uh, and then... And then they say, oh, Harry Carey, and everybody laughs, right? That's, I mean, it's just standard. I still get that. I go to the post office, and they look at my mail, and they go, oh, Harry Carey, that's a funny name. Uh, so, yeah, by design, I, my, my dad said, uh, my, my uncle actually uh, called me a chip off the old block. Uh, and my son <laughs> is uh, Harry the Fourth. His middle name is Christopher, so he's going by Chris. That was my uncle's name, so there's some family synergy there. Uh, but, yeah, I, I don't think in this day and age you want to go through life being Harry. That's not, that's not the, the best of first names to try to deal with, especially in this business, because, as you said, you got to do it yourself and be your own person. There's an iconic photo of you, your dad, and Harry all together at Wrigley Field. And correct me if I'm wrong, but that was right before Harry passed away, but you had the chance to do a game, three generations of carries behind a microphone for a major league game. Tell me about that. Uh, it was surreal, quite honestly. And as the, the sands of time have gone through the hourglass, I think I appreciate it more now as a mid-50s-year-old person than I did at the age of 24 or 25 when I was doing those games. Uh, people have, have this, I think, misnomer that I was born with a silver broadcasting spoon or a silver microphone that was put in my crib and that I had Thanksgiving and Christmas dinners with my grandfather and my dad. That wasn't the case. Sadly, uh, my grandfather and grandmother divorced. My mom and dad divorced. Uh, I didn't see much of them growing up. Uh, I kind of connected with them via television and cable TV when it penetrated West County in the 1980s, early 80s. Uh, I was a typical high school kid, came home, watched the Cubs in the afternoon, went and did my homework, did chores, went to baseball practice, came back and watched the Braves play the Giants at 10 o'clock at night. Um, But, you know, I... I, um uh, that day is just sort of surreal. Uh, my grandfather was an orphan, grew up in the south uh, part of St. Louis, right behind Union Station, didn't know his parents. Um, he had this great sense of familial pride with my dad following in his footsteps. He was kind of tricked into it uh, with Bob Hyland at Camel X. 
and to see his son and then his grandson doing what he did. I mean, my grandfather is the personification of a self-made St. Louis guy. And he appreciated that moment perhaps more than anyone because I think he felt that he was finally successful at something other than baseball. Uh, he knew his son was successful. He knew his son was a very talented and capable baseball guy. And then his son was trying to teach those lessons to me to get into the business and uh, be yourself, be your own person. Uh, it went by in a blur. We only did that one game together in Chicago. I'll never forget walking down the street with about 20 cameras and boom microphones and my dad and his sarcastic way leaned over to me and said now i know what john Gotti feels like (laughs) (laughs) because it was a big deal it was a bigger deal to i think my dad and my grandfather than it was to me uh you know harry was a guy that loved the limelight loved the publicity loved being harry carey he was a professional harry carey uh my dad was much more private much more reserved i'm a little bit of both uh, but I think uh, uh, the pride of that moment for my grandfather is the thing that I will take to my grave because, again, I didn't know him very well. And to see that he had made something of himself and came from truly nothing uh, was a remarkable success story. And so for that, I'm, I'm eternally grateful and I'll never forget it. Being a St. Louis native, um, and we talked about your love of the blues, you were telling me recently, and maybe you can uh, explain this to the listeners, but you were telling me that the St. Louis Blues name, we may have Harry Carey to thank for that with the, the Solomon brothers who own the team. Tell, tell me a little bit yeah. about that. Yeah, I, well, I, it's kind of an urban legend, and I, I, I have nothing to base this on fact, but it's something that I had heard, and I never was able to confirm this with my grandfather. Um, people forget that Harry uh, did all sports in St. Louis, and back in those days there was more than one rights holder for the baseball games. So to make ends meet in the 1930s, you know, 1934, 35, the St. Louis Flyers were a professional hockey team in St. Louis, and Harry did some of their hockey games. And then he left and came back, and like we all do in our careers, made his way back uh, to his hometown. But he became friendly with the Solomon Brothers when the Blues were an expansion team, and they were looking for the team name. And they were bandying some things about, and my grandfather, who had a great love of music, I mean, this is a guy that got off the Cardinal bus in Harlem one night and went to the Cotton Club by himself at 2 o'clock in the morning. Awesome. Um, he, said, he said, well, you know, St. Louis is known for its great music, you know, the St. Louis Blues. And for some reason, that name apparently stuck. Now, whether it came from my grandfather or someone else, I can't confirm. But I heard that he had mentioned that name and that phrasing to the Solomon Brothers, and somehow, some way, that was the name that eventually stuck for the St. Louis hockey team. So, yeah, if true, you know, my grandfather's uh, tentacles for St. Louis sports go far beyond uh, the St. Louis Cardinals in the 1960s and and, uh, 50s and 40s. That's Chip Carey, back with more in just a moment. Hair Saloon for Men, proud sponsor of ScoopsWithDannyMac.com. Home base in St. Louis, founded in 1997. 16 locations. You'll receive the perfect haircut, complimentary beverage, relaxing shampoo, hot towel and a men, complimentary shoe shine, all for just $22. And for an extra $5, get a stress-relieving scalp massage. Hair Saloon for Men, 16 locations. There's one near you. Hair Saloon for Men. My conversation with Chip Carey will continue in just a moment. As he mentioned, he's a Blues fan. Where does he go when he watches the Blues? When he's in St. Louis, it's Hotshot Sports Bar and Grill, one of the 10 area locations you're home for St. Louis Blues hockey this year. Enjoy the game on dozens of TVs, and you'll enjoy great specials on Jack Daniels Cocktails, 
blue sampler, appetizers, and more. Play Blues Roulette during every game for your shot to win great prizes at every Hot Shots location. And don't forget to score $1 tacos any day after the Blues score five goals. Find a Hot Shots near you. Hotshotsnet.com. Hot Shots, proud sponsor of the Blues since 1990. I love this conversation with one of my best friends in the business and truly one of the greats in this business, and that's Chip Carey. Chip, I want to go more into your, your family history, if we can, with your, your dad, who... He was just a, a great voice of baseball. That's my best I can do. And then you have Harry Carey. I mean, I, I, are those, those are pretty decent, right? Yeah, not bad. Your John Miller is off the charts good. Have you, uh, have you regaled uh, your fans with John Miller? Uh, 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 we got uh, uh, Chip, and and Chip is a uh, 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 three uh, uh, three generation uno dos trace. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> I want to get more into you. So let's talk with Chip Carey here. Um, growing up around the business uh, and seeing what your dad went through following a legend, and then following your grandfather, as you mentioned, in our first segment from afar. What was that like for a youngster in Chip Carey growing up in St. Louis and loving the Cardinals um, and just growing up in the business and seeing how it all played out? What, what did you take away from that experience as a kid? Uh, I took away a lot of things. Uh, number one, it is, as I said a couple of times, a personality-driven business. I had to be myself if I was going to be successful in it. Nobody could do Harry Carey. Nobody could be Skip Carey. Nobody could be Jack Buck. Uh, you know, Mike Shannon, Bob Starr, you go down the, the, the list of, of guys that have been uh, in the business a long time. You have to be yourself. And with that, you have to have the courage of your convictions to go out and do the games the way that you think you need to do them. Uh, I think as a young broadcaster, I was fortunate not to have the Twitter and Facebook era that we have now, where every single thing you say uh, is uh, uh, microanalyzed and played back. I mean, look, we, we work in a business where there's really no safety net. It's live TV. And I'm sure you would agree, Dan, there are games where you've said stuff that's uh, incorrect, not by uh, any lack of preparation, but it just happens. Uh, you know, as a young broadcaster trying to make your way in the Twitter and Facebook world that we live in now, I can't imagine how much more difficult it is for those folks to find their own voice and to stick with it when you have the constant uh, drumbeat of criticism, A, out of jealousy, or B, out of uh just downright Twitter bravado that we all seem to, to see all the time. Uh, so that part of it was, was a blessing. Uh, getting into basketball first for me, I think, was a big help uh, because if I had done a, a Major League Baseball at 24 right away as a full-time basis, the inevitable comparisons would have probably been uh, soul-crushing to a certain degree. Uh, I did it in Orlando. I got away from Atlanta. I wasn't in St. Louis. I did the basketball for the Orlando Magic their first seven, eight years of their existence. So I was in a smaller market learning how to do this, doing minor league baseball down there as well. So I was able to get out and forge my own style, have some success, grow with the team in an expansion situation, then develop my own style and my own cadence and my own way of doing things, which I think, knock on wood, has served me pretty well. So uh, again, as I said in our earlier segment, I wasn't born with a silver uh, microphone in my crib. I had to go out and do it like everybody else, nose to grindstone, suffer the slings and arrows, improve, work hard, and hopefully advance. And thank goodness I've been able to do that. How many people come up to you when you're in St. Louis, whether when you were here as a kid and they, they saw Carrie and they said, well, well, Carrie, man, that's a unique name. Are you related to Skip and Harry? And then you said yes. Mm -hmm. And then how many people on a follow-up to that had a story about either your grandfather or your dad? 
all of them. I mean, it's remarkable. Uh, you know, you hand out your license to go rent a car in, in Clayton, where our team hotel was, and they look at me and they say, are you related to Harry? I said, yep, grandson. And they go, oh, my God, you're kidding. Uh, it's really a fascinating thing. You know, my grandfather left St. Louis right before the 1970 season, and, uh, you know, he's been gone from there almost 50 years, and he left an indelible impact on so many people, uh, and not just in St. Louis, but through Cardinal Nation, through that 50,000 blowtorch, 50,000 watt blowtorch on KMOX. They still remember Harry Carey calling the Cardinals in 1964, that dramatic finish, and Bob Gibson and, and uh, Boyer's Grand Slam and beating the Yankees and all that stuff, like we all do. Um, that is intensely gratifying. And uh, the same for my father. I mean, Dad went to Webster Groves High School. People ask, you know, every now and then, boy, we sure miss your dad. And I went to Webster Groves with him. I mean, that that's the, the, the great thing about uh, baseball in the Midwestern towns. Uh, you do become an extended part of their family. And I think all of us who do this business, look, we love the game, we love the sport, but ultimately what we love is the connection that we have with the fans because that's who we're supposed to be serving. And uh, my grandfather was very, very honest in, in, in that uh, approach. He didn't work for the suits, he worked for the fans. Uh, my, my dad, the same way. I'd like to think I do it the same way. And we never have forgotten our Midwestern roots. We still have, a, as I said, family there. I have uh, grandparents who are buried there. Uh, I love visiting St. Louis. Uh, there is something that pulls your heartstrings when you go there, uh, if you're from there, because you just get the culture. You understand it. Uh, you're not a mercenary. You bleed Cardinal Red, no matter what uniform you broadcast for now, simply because that's the team you grew up watching. And uh, that's uh, that's an amazing thing. And to, to be recognized in a small way as a relative of someone who meant so much to that franchise and to that fan base is extremely humbling and extremely gratifying, even, as I said, with my grandfather they're gone almost uh, 25 years now. As you know quite well, better than I and others that are in the industry and maybe the first of our families to be broadcasters, you're away from your family nonstop, especially if you're doing sports year-round. So with your dad in particular, number one, um, was he around much when you were a kid and how close were you to your father? And number two, how often did he evaluate your tapes and your broadcasting and those types of things as you went along in your career? Uh, good questions. Uh, number one, the answer is no. Uh, my dad wasn't around much. Uh, my dad and mom uh, divorced when I was five years old. I was in. Uh, we were in Atlanta. Uh, Dad was doing the St. Louis Hawks, you might recall, and oh, yeah. followed the Hawks Hawks from St. Louis to Atlanta for the, for the reasons we just mentioned. He needed to find his own way and get out from under the gigantic shadow of Harry Carey. Look, uh, you know, he wanted to avoid the nepotism stuff, and he had to go prove himself in a smaller market, which at the time was Atlanta, and he did that. Uh, but I was five years old. We were living in Atlanta. I'll never forget. I remember the day uh, my dad left. Uh, it was a green 1967 uh, Mercury Cougar convertible. He backed out of the driveway. My mom was there. Her parents were there. And I said, where's dad going? And she said, he's going on a long road trip. And that's how mm. it was explained to me uh, that, you know, my parents weren't going to be together anymore. And so we moved back to St. Louis, uh, moved back there when I was in third or fourth grade and, and stayed there until I graduated from high school. Uh, and I only saw my dad for visitation. Uh, he was down in Atlanta building a career. He had to, you know, get his feet back up, back underneath him. And only when I went to college at the University of Georgia did we really start to connect as father and son. And even then it was kind of a, uh, a more of a, a friendship basis than it was father and son. Uh, once I got into business, he, he obviously took a little more interest in what I was doing. He never critiqued my tapes. He never 
uh, you know, really watched my games other than, I guess, with parental pride, whatever comments he had, he kept to himself, uh, which was probably a good thing because I was, you know, awful. <laughs> and, uh, you know, 89 was a magic. I think they won 15 games and I was worse than the team, but stuck with it. <laughs> um, you know, but, but really the, the, the turning point for me was when I went to Chicago and uh, was doing the Cubs games. Um, we knew there was going to be a chance that I was going to get to work with my grandfather and close that parental grandfatherly loop uh, from a personal basis. Forget the baseball side of it. I mean, it would have been great to hear about Jackie Robinson's debut and watching every uh, at-bat that Stan Musial had and all of that stuff that my grandfather got to see uh, from a history standpoint. But just to be able to hang out and find out what it was like growing up on 1917 LaSalle Street behind Union Station, not knowing your parents, being a penniless orphan kid, selling newspapers to make ends meet, uh, working in Kalamazoo, Michigan with Chick Hearn, uh, getting the Cardinals job, uh, you know, with the bravado of walking in and saying, hey, I can do a better job than the guy you're hiring. I mean, all those kinds of family stories uh, is a history that we never got to uh, we never got to fill because he died before uh, uh, I was able to work with him in, in 1998. Um, so, so that part of it was hard from a grandfather's standpoint, and that's why I left Chicago in many respects to come to Atlanta. I didn't want to not know my dad. And uh, once I came back to Atlanta, I got to be a son. My dad wasn't healthy at the end of his life. Uh, I got to buy him lunch. I got to take his luggage to his room on the road. I got to have a drink with him after a road trip. Uh, I got to, you know, take him to the doctor um, and and do all the things that as a son I always dreamed of being able to do. But I got to do it when I was 40 years old, not 18. And uh, for that, I will always be grateful for uh, uh, the Braves for allowing me the opportunity to come back here and, and, and work with my dad and hopefully uh, fill his shoes capably and ably on the TV side. Was your dad close at all to Harry? He was very, uh, you know, back in the day, it was, uh, you know, sort of expected that the, the son followed in the father's business. And we always joked, and that's kind of what we call it. It's the family business for us. Uh, you know, people say, oh, it's nepotism, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but nobody says that if it's a third-generation lawyer or a family-owned plumbing business and the son and the grandson take over and take it to new heights. Uh, for whatever reason, because we're doing baseball and we're traveling with the team and we're on radio or TV, people assign a different importance to it than, than perhaps they should. Uh, but, yes, he was very close to my grandfather. Um, you know, my dad was a, a great shining success for Harry and that he got into the business, that he went to college, things that my grandfather could only have dreamed of doing. But I say that with one caveat. Uh, as I said earlier, Harry was a professional entertainer. It was beer, babes, and baseball. And there were times when my dad would come home from the University of Missouri and want to meet uh, Harry at Sportsman's Park and go to dinner, and Harry was signing autographs. He was always Harry. He was never just dad, and that's the comment my dad made. And I think uh, my dad learned a very valuable lesson in that, that there has to be balance. And uh, I think my dad was very, very good at that balance. When it was time to have fun, nobody had more fun in the booth or in the bar after the game than my dad. But when it was time for the ball in play and the big moment of a game, basketball, football, baseball, you name it, there was nobody, in my opinion, better than he when it came down to doing the business of baseball. And then it was t when the game was over, we'd ride home from the ballpark and talk about all kinds of things, life in general, and uh, that was the balance that I think my dad saw was missing from his dad, and hopefully that's something else that was passed down to me. Final question in, in this segment, our guest Chip Carey, the voice of the Atlanta Braves, St. Louis native, St. Louis in his blood, third generation now of the Careys doing Major League Baseball. And this may be a tough question for you, for you Chip, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong, there was a story, and, I, and you've related this to me, and I, I've seen it on the MLB Network special, but... When Harry came to one of your Little League games, 
basically you're told that's your grandfather and you didn't really know what Harry looked like or really hadn't met him. Can you can you describe that? No, it's kind of the other way around. The story's true. Um, you know, Harry's uh, third wife, Dutchie, who's from St. Louis, Dolores Johnson, um, had her, had a son who was two years older than I was and was going to the same high school. I went to Parkway West, and uh, Roger Johnson was a catcher on the baseball team, and Harry was at Manchester Athletic Association on Manchester Road near 141 watching him play on the big field. We had played an earlier game, and uh, one of the coaches said, hey, uh, or the kids were saying, hey, your grandfather's here. I said, oh, cool. So I walked by, and he's in the stands, and I walked by, and I waved to him. Harry had no idea who I was. Mm. And, uh, you know, obviously I was crushed by that, and I sort of went off and skulked off to the side of the uh, stadium and watched the game, and one of my coaches came over and said, what's wrong? And I explained the story. My coach grabbed me by the shoulder and walked me over and said, walked up to Harry in in between innings of the big game and said, hey, Mr. Carey, welcome to our ballpark. Uh, there's a young player here who's pretty good. I'd like you to meet him. And he shook his hands. And my grandfather said, hey, young man, how are you? And uh, the coach said, this is your grandson. And I was mortified. Uh, Harry was mortified. And the 15 people around him were mortified. And that's the point that that uh, I've made so many times. I, I have Harry's last name, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, I, I wish that I had known him better. I have no animosity toward him in any way, shape, or form. But I don't call him my grandfather. Uh, he's Harry. And uh, that's, that's in a way, uh, kind of a sad thing. I wish I'd had a chance to spend time with him, like I said, with that Cubs job, because uh, those uh, familial bonds that will always be there, I think, are a little bit frayed and, and, and never were able to be connected because of his untimely passing. Great conversation here with one of the best in the business, St. Louis native Chip Carey. Back with more in a moment. Celebrate 125 years of history at St. Louis Union Station with free movies every weekend. Get a bird's eye view of all that history when you take a spin on the St. Louis Wheel. Soaring 200 feet into the air, you'll appreciate the iconic skyline inside a climate-controlled gondola. Enjoy a round of golf at the 18-hole miniature golf course. Other attractions include the St. Louis Carousel and the Fire and Light Show. Visit St. Louis UnionStation.com. Come celebrate. I'll continue my conversation with Chip Carey in just a moment. Triad Bank is a full-service financial institution They have joined the Scoops with Danny Mac family. I've joined them. Established in 2005, their mission to provide a wide range of commercial and banking services to closely held businesses, their owners, and families. Believe me, Mrs. Scoops is very happy. Our relationship approach gives our valued clients the comfort of knowing all of their banking needs will be satisfied by a locally owned financial institution right here in St. Louis. It's Triad Bank. You walk through their doors. Jim Regna is there. He'll sit you down, have a cup of coffee with you, and talk about what you need for your family or your business. I use them. I hope you do as well. Triadbanking.com. Triadbanking.com. Proud sponsor of Scoops with DannyMac.com. You hear the name Kerry, Buck, Brenneman, and all those guys are legendary broadcasters with sons that are becoming legends in this game. Um, how often, Chip, do you talk to Joe or to Tom, who follows Marty? Joe obviously following Jack. You following your your legendary father and grandfather. How often did you guys ever talk and say, hey, how are you handling the pressure of having this last name and being in this business? Or did you guys do that at all? I didn't really talk to either one of them about it, uh, to be honest with you. I remember when Tommy was leaving Arizona, he called me. 
uh, at home and asked me about what what he should expect because the Reds wanted him to come back home and sort of be the guy, the natural progression of the torch in Cincinnati's booth, what that was like. And I told him, it's great. Uh, if you get a chance to work with your dad, you know, uh, you don't know how much longer any of us are going to be around. Take the chance. Uh, and I, I think the same with Joe. Uh, Kenny Albert comes to mind as well. Tom McCarthy in Philadelphia has a son who's getting into the business. F.P. Santangelo's son is trying to do it out in San Francisco. Uh, that would be my advice, and that was that was the only conversation I really had with Tommy. And the great thing, I think, is that all of those guys you mentioned uh, got kind of a boost from their dads, uh, picked up their suitcase, went someplace else, built their own career, built their own success, and every single opportunity they had was allowing them to come back home. I think that says an awful lot about uh, who these guys are, what they've done, what the organizations think of their family, and what they're getting with this newest generation of people. I mean, it isn't easy to come home all the time, and a lot of times it doesn't work out very well for, for myriad reasons, but I think in the cases, uh, Danny, of, of the guys you mentioned, uh, that's probably the greatest compliment of all, that they've been allowed to go spread their wings and then fly back to the nest, as it were, and all of them have had a great deal of success, and, and that's to be uh, uh, congratulated. I think it's a terrific story in every case. Agreed. You mentioned something earlier in our show about Facebook, Twitter, but social media. How do you think your dad or Harry would have handled being how they were and in today's day and age, social media, both <laughs> away from the mic and on the mic? How do you think they would have handled it? Well, I'll give you an example of how my grandfather would have handled it. Uh, you know, Harry worked in Chicago, and obviously you had the Cubs-White Sox thing. So you didn't know if the people who didn't like you didn't like you because you worked for the Cubs or the White Sox, or they just didn't like you, period. My grandfather had a terrific way of answering hate mail. Uh, somebody would send him a letter via, you know, snail mail, and he would get it, and the guy or gal would just rip him a new one, and, and he'd come out. Know, their, air their grievances, like the you know the, the Festivus and June deal, and uh, Harry would turn the piece of paper over and write very simply on the note, "Dear Dan, some blankety blank 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 has gotten a hold of your home address. Just thought you'd like to know. Regards, Harry Carey." <laughs> put that paper back in an envelope and send it right back to him. Uh, I think my dad would do that as well. Uh, but you know, in this business, you got to have thick skin. Uh, you know there are going to be people who are going to be crit critics uh, of your work. Um, I, I, I go back to the Teddy Roosevelt quote, you know, it's not about uh, the critic, but it's the guy in the arena. And the, most of the people who criticize your work have never done it, don't know the pressures inherently uh, in this job of representing a TV network or a radio uh, network, a ball club, the players, the fans, all of those things are, are constantly balls that are being juggled in the air, and you're doing it in real time. Uh, but I, I think both of them uh, developed enough of a thick skin that they sort of – uh, were able to uh, process the constructive criticism, maybe learn from it, uh, and the other stuff you just throw away as, as part of the job. As I said before, the difference is now it happens in real time, and uh, it's kind of like talk radio uh, with one big difference. Uh, on talk radio, it's the host that has the dump button. Uh, if the host doesn't like what the caller has to say or the guest has to say, they can say, okay, interview's over, boom, go to the next one. Uh, with social media, it's a spigot that you can't turn off. 
that's why I'm not on it. That's why I don't participate in it anymore. Um, it's it's not worth uh, the angst and the aggravation. Uh, it's unfortunate that that's what it's turned into because, as we know, most of the people who say these things to anybody on Twitter wouldn't have the courage to do it face-to-face and in person. So I just uh, choose not to participate in that particular swamp. And I think my grandfather and dad, while they would have been uh, very happy to uh, be tempted to answer, I think they'd be smart enough to say, eh, that's not for me. Do you have a favorite moment behind the mic? Uh, oh, boy. Favorite moment behind the mic. Um, you know, Sosa McGuire was pretty pretty special. Uh, you know, in 1998, look, knowing what we know now in some quarters, I think, tarnishes the, the 1998 season for McGuire and Sosa. It doesn't for me, in my opinion. You have to hit the ball. Um, but having said that, uh, Bush Stadium, St. Louis, Mark McGuire, uh, facing Steve Traxel, hits that uh, top spin line drive homer over the fence in left field. It was a nationally televised game. And I remember uh, fireworks going off, big celebration, Sosa McGuire hug at Old Bush. Uh, and I look over to the Cardinals radio booth, and there's Jack Buck wearing a Cardinal red jacket, standing applauding with tears streaming down his face. Now, this is a man who went through unspeakable things in World War II, a guy that uh, forged his own great Hall of Fame identity, maybe the greatest broadcaster in in uh, certainly Midwestern history, if not all of baseball. And I say that with all due respect to Vin Scully. Um, with tears streaming down his face, watching this moment, because he knew Roger Maris. He knew how big this record was in, in the history of the sport and what it meant to baseball. And I got chills watching that. And then uh, Jack Buck came over on our WGN broadcast and was uh, talking about the game. And we all know how ill Jack was. And those of us who had the good fortune of knowing him know what a great sense of humor he had. While we waited to get on the air, Jack Buck comes over, puts on his headset to talk about this moment and put it into some historical context. And he puts on the headphones and says, hey, guys, what's shaking besides me? And (laughs) uh, both both Steve and I were, were, you know, laughed and were grateful for that. But uh, watching Jack Buck, uh, watching that moment in St. Louis, me working for the Cubs, being lucky enough to be there for the Cubs side of that home run chase, what that season meant to me as my first in Chicago following my grandfather. Uh, that one's, if not in the top five, it's certainly in the top two. And uh, to have a front row seat to history on that magical night in that ballpark where Hell, I saw Lou Brock's 3,000 hit and caught a foul ball from Ted Simmons as a kid. That was uh, that was as good as it gets for me. Did Jack help you uh, when you got the job and you started doing major league games? And and Jack worked with Harry, and there were some good moments, some bad moments. And sure. if so, you know what did he tell you? Uh, a great story. Uh, I, I was uh, brought to to Pittsburgh uh, when Ken Wilson was getting ready to leave St. Louis. They weren't going to bring him back. So they brought me into Pittsburgh to do an audition, uh, a couple of games with Al Roboski. And I'll never forget sitting in the lobby of that old Weston Hotel uh, by the convention center. Oh, yeah. Reading the USA Today newspaper, getting ready for the game. And uh, Jack was off that evening. So Jack and Carol were walking across the little skywalk there after having lunch or breakfast or whatever, and all of a sudden this quarter comes pinwheeling through the air and lands splat right on top of my newspaper. And it was Jack Buck who flipped the quarter, and he started laughing. He came downstairs, couldn't have been more gracious. He said, good luck, kid. You're going to do great. Al's going to walk you through anything you need. Just have a good time. And I said, thanks so much. That's great advice. And he said, oh, kid, just one more thing. I said, what's that? He said, don't blank it up. <laughs> so, <you> know, <laughs> so, 
so he sent me on my way with kind of his endorsement, a pat on the back and go get him. And uh, Al was great. We had a great time. I came back and, and did some games for the Cardinals in New York about a week later and uh, had a chance to work in St. Louis. Unfortunately, that didn't work out. But uh, an indelible moment, Jack Buck sort of giving you a pat on the back. And for him, I'm sure sort of a, uh, a, closure, a closure of a circle, too. He knew that Joe was in the business. I was getting started. And he, was, he went out of his way to make me feel comfortable and part of the team. And I'll always be grateful for that. What would be your advice to, to young broadcasters like your son, which I'm sure you've given him plenty of advice, but what, what advice do you yep. give him? Well, the first bit of advice for my son is get a haircut and get a job. I, uh-huh. think, I think that's get a, off the payroll. That's what every parent says. Yeah, exactly, as fast as you can. Uh, no, seriously, like I've said a couple of times, be yourself. Uh, I will open every door I can for him, but ultimately he's got to walk through it, and he's got to develop his own style. He's going to make mistakes. Uh, I would avoid uh, social media at all costs. If you're on it now as a high schooler, get off it. Uh, scrub your profile because people are going to look at that, and if you've said or done anything that stupid teenagers will do, and I say that respectfully, uh, it's going to be discussed and talked about, and you don't need that hassle as you get going in your career. Uh, I would suggest read everything you can uh, even those old-fashioned things called newspapers uh read shakespeare read uh you know hemingway chaucer read all of it you never know when that stuff will come up thirdly i would say uh get used to being away as you said dan you know uh you miss birthdays anniversaries you miss uh, big moments in your life i've got four children i've seen half of their lives because we don't live where i work that's hard uh you but you have to reconcile that with the lifestyle that you're able to provide even though you are away for a, a great deal of, of the time um be fair to the players uh it is very hard playing major league baseball i have never ever said that's an easy play or wow he should have made that play i've never seen a 95 mile an hour fastball and quite frankly i think it's a miracle that anybody ever gets a hit in this game uh and then lastly you got to have fun you've got to be a little kid you've got to laugh at yourself you've got to laugh at the stupid stuff that comes up and you have to be uh, uh, strong enough and confident enough that uh you are ultimately working for the fans and not the suits and and uh, it's a big business. It's very important. But you are there to represent the game for the fans who can't be there in person on radio and television. And if you can do those things in, in whatever order you, you see, I, I think you have a great chance to be successful and have a terrific career. And hopefully my son will because I'm getting older. I need someone to push my wheelchair in about 30 years, and I hope he's up to the task. I understand that, too. Final question for you. You mentioned Vince Scully, Jack Buck. Uh, Marty Brenneman, all these great, Dick Enberg. I mean, you've met them all. Is there yep. one thing or one story that stands out from one of those broadcasters that, that, that really has resonated with you in all your years of doing uh, professional sports? Absolutely. First major league game, opening day, 1991, Braves and Dodgers, old Fulton County Stadium. You did games there. The old TV booths were separated by a oh, big yeah. uh, plexiglass window. Uh, I'm doing the game with Ernie Johnson. I'm his color guy. I'm 25 years old. I'm scared to death. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm in the major leagues. And uh, we finished the lineup. We did our open. We put our headsets down. I, I take it off, and I look out of the field, and I went, oh, my God, I'm a major league broadcaster. And unbeknownst to me, Ernie, uh, uh, Vin Scully was standing in the back of our booth stirring a cup of coffee and listening because he knew Harry. He knew my dad. Uh, he walked out of our booth, stirring his cup of coffee, walked down the steps, which were adjacent to that plexiglass wall where I could see him. And he takes his Hall of Fame ring and goes tap, tap, tap on the plexiglass window. And I look up. And there's Vince Scully smiling, impeccably dressed with his coat and tie, stirring a cup of coffee. And he looked at me and, and mouthed the words, welcome to the club. And for a 25-year-old kid uh, who was trying to make his own way, 
who was as green as the greenest apple you've ever seen in your life to be welcomed to the club by the voice of baseball, Vin Scully, meant the world to me. And I've relayed that story to him every time I've seen him. And I will always uh, have a debt of gratitude for that moment because for the first time in my life, quite frankly, I felt like I finally belonged to something. And uh, he's a big reason why. And uh, as I've said so many times, just it's amazing what a simple phrase will mean to somebody, whether it's in person, on radio, or on TV. And fortunately for me, it was Ben Scully that delivered it in my first Major League game. More features keep rolling out on the Schnooks Rewards app, all designed to simplify shopping. Your rewards points still continue to pile up, earning you money off your next purchase. But now you can create customizable and shareable shopping lists. Shop for your family's dietary needs with the new wellness icons. Gluten-free, organic, heart smart, it's all covered. So this week, simplify shopping. Try the new features on the Schnooks Rewards app. Shopping will never be the same. Schnooks Rewards, download it today.